Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Many see the word sin, and they assume that the way that you define that is bad things that condemn you to hell if you're guilty of them. Maybe that's pretty much how you think of the word sin. There's some big problems with that particular definition, though. Because one of the first questions that you encounter, if that's how you think about it, is, well, what's bad? What makes something bad, bad enough to go to hell? And if you believe in God, if you believe that there's an afterlife, then usually we don't have trouble with agreeing that some things are worthy of an eternity in hell, Adolf Hitler's atrocities, Osama bin Laden, certainly worthy of hell, serial killers, child rapists, no question whatsoever. But what if you just lie? Just say some things that aren't true on occasion. What if you're pretty much a good person, you just happen to have a really bad temper? Or you're kind of materialistic, you get a little caught up with some greed now and then? What if you just don't like going to church? It's hard to get up on Sunday mornings. What if you've never heard of Jesus? You've never killed anybody. You've never stolen anything. You just haven't ever had anybody tell you about Jesus. Even if the Bible says that things like that are bad, would a loving God really send someone like that to hell? Or... Is it really a sin if it doesn't hurt anybody? Who gets hurt if you look at pornography? That's just something you do in private. Who gets hurt if it's two adults in a consensual sexual relationship? What does it bother anybody else if it's a same-sex relationship? Isn't sexuality just a biological act? We were made sexual creatures. You can't help who you're attracted to. A lot of folks in situations like that are in really stable, loving relationships. So is that really a sin? Will you really go to hell over something like that? You uncomfortable yet? This is real life. And I feel compelled to start by saying that. Because I feel so strongly, so passionately to make sure that we understand in this room that the problem is not preachers don't talk enough about sin anymore. Because we seem to think that's the issue. At least I received that critique an awful lot, so it seems like that's what we're thinking. That we just don't talk enough about sin. So that seems to be the problem. As though people just don't know what the Bible says about that. That if I would just stand up and say, hey, the Bible says that you shouldn't be in a same-sex relationship, people would go, oh, I didn't know that. Well, let me go ahead and change my whole life right now. I'm so glad you told me. You realize.
actually the problem, right? Like that's not the issue that's behind all of this. The underlying issue is a worldview issue. We as people are self-centered. We want to decide for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. Does it hurt anybody? According to me, do I think it hurts anybody? Does it make me feel good? Do I want to do it? Can I do it? When that's the standard, I can stand up here till I'm blue in the face and tell you the Bible says, and the people involved will just say, so? Those were different times. You know, the Bible was written by people. Oh, well, you know, it says that, but I think, I think, or they might just say, well, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but I don't believe the Bible. And that's not new. This is something that goes all the way back to the beginning. Because when you read the first three pages of the Bible, you see, when God created everything, He made the world very good. And when He made human beings, male and female, He made us in His image. We were made after His likeness. He gave us purpose. He gave us relationship. He met every need that we had and He gave us lives full of hope. The things that we were doing meant something. The lives that we were living with Him and each other were leading somewhere. We just had to trust Him. When we're given this beautiful picture of humanity's first days and we're told that God put a tree of the knowledge of good and evil there in the midst of it with the command that the man and the woman weren't to eat from that. Appreciate that the Bible is not saying there that God is anti-knowledge. That God wants people to be ignorant. God upholds stupidity. What it's saying is God wants people to trust Him. Everything he created was good, 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 very good. And whenever he saw something was not good, like the man being alone, he immediately worked with us to make it good. So all God asked for was that human beings would choose to trust him. To look at the evidence all around of how good he made things and trust that what he says to do, it's good. It's for our good. It's to our benefit. He wanted us to choose to have a relationship with him. And we didn't. We were deceived by what we saw, how we felt, what we desired. And we can blame God, well, why did he make the tree in the first place? We can blame each other, well, that woman, if she hadn't done that, wouldn't have happened. But that is all just a result of sin in the first place, because sin is when blame started. Sin is when shame started. The reality is it was our choice, our choice as human beings to not trust God and we broke everything. 
Theologians refer to what happened on the third page of the Bible as the fall. And that is why there's disease. That is why there's crime. That is why there's war, poverty, disasters. That's why there's children growing up in broken homes. That's why there's people facing hunger. That is why there's death. None of that was in the picture when God first created everything. None of that was God's design. There's no place for it on the first two pages of the Bible. Sin did that. And now the world is absolutely full of it. Appreciate what Grayson read for us from Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Everything is wrong. The course of this world, just the way that we do things is messed up. The way that people operate on a day-to-day basis is completely out of line. If we do like everyone else, we will be against God. We'll be going against the one who created us, sons of disobedience, Paul said. Whenever our North Star is what we want... What we want leads us to be children of wrath. We can't judge what's right and wrong based on what we think and feel because sin has left us hopelessly broken. We are deceived. We're under the sway of, we are enslaved to evil. Cosmic powers of darkness. Paul describes it here as the prince of the power of the air. And as great a description as that 2,000 year old phrase is, I think it's even more true now because you might say the prince of the power of the air waves. What you see on TV, what you hear on the radio, what comes across the movies, what pops up in your social media feed, conform to it And you might have a pulse, but you're dead already. Because it is going to push you away from God. He created you, designed you to live your life a certain way. And sin, the way the world does it, isn't it. The actual biblical definition of the Greek word we translate sin is missing the mark. Sin is not, as many of us seem to think, God's way of testing us to see if we deserve to go to heaven. Sin is not a list of God's personal pet peeves that if you're guilty of them, he's going to smite you. We were made in his image. And sin is unlike him. We as human beings were designed to be like God. And sin is anything that's not like God. Anything that misses that mark, that uses our minds, our emotions, our bodies, contrary to what he made them to be. And if God is the author of life, then missing the mark, sinning, moves us away from life. And if you're moving away from life, where are you headed to? Death. This isn't about culture. 
That the Bible represents a different time and a different culture, so we can just take sin and set it on the shelf. That doesn't matter anymore. It's not about advancement. That We've progressed so much as a society now that we just know things they didn't know back then. So, yeah, the Bible called it a sin, but we know better than that now. It is the same issue that humanity has always had, and it's an issue of trust. Will we let God teach us what's good? And what's bad? Will we trust that the one who designed us, who made everything good, wants the best for us? That no matter what anyone else says or does, if we are learning from him, it will be better for us. But we don't. Because we have all sinned. Now, sometimes it was ignorant. We truly just didn't know what we were doing was wrong. But usually we did. At some level, we had that impulse that we needed to keep it quiet, that we needed to hide it. We had some sense that this wasn't completely above board, that it wasn't quite right. But we did it anyway. Whether we realized it in the moment or not, we all chose death. We used our minds, our bodies, our lives different than God's design. We set our own standard, well, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, without the vision to really know if that's true. Well, you know, who cares if I look at some pornography? It doesn't hurt anybody because we don't have the vision to see the women and even children that that evil exploits. Because we don't have the vision to see how it changes our brain chemistry. We don't have the vision to see how it will affect our sense of self, our relationship with others. We look at consensual sexual relationships and we say, well, that doesn't hurt anybody. Not realizing the mistrust it creates to engage in relationships like that with somebody that you're not committed to for life. Not realizing the pressure it's going to create on future partners we might have to feel like they've got to live up to some standard that they might not meet. And then, while we lack the vision to tell, sin starts to control us. We might think that we're making the choices, but we're not. It starts to harden us. Our consciences get seared. How easy is it once you've started letting your language be peppered with some four-letter words that your mom wouldn't have wanted you to say at the dinner table? And you start getting used to saying some of those things and saying some of those things, and then eventually you realize, like, oh, I just said that somewhere I shouldn't. I should stop saying that. But then it just keeps slipping out. You just can't seem to stop. Or if you start engaging in an intimate relationship with someone you're not married to and you feel kind of guilty about it, so you say, well, I'm not going to do that again. And then date night comes around and it's really hard to sit there and play apples to apples when you've been playing something else. That's what happens. Sin starts to take control. A little drink here, a little drink there. You can stop anytime you want. But we don't, it controls us. Then it hardens us, it sears our consciences. We start to question, well, it's not really that bad. I mean, everybody else does it, it's okay. 
You know, like God, yeah, he says that in the Bible, but I mean, it was a different time then. And we get to a point where we start justifying it, where we question whether those things we're doing are even wrong. But meanwhile, while we're doing that, the consequences of those choices start to mount. Because we're experiencing feelings that God didn't design the human heart to have to feel. We're starting to have problems come up in our lives that we weren't meant to have to deal with, that we're having to try to figure out. And we can keep going, we can keep sinning, and we might be alive, but it's like we're driving our car around with the check engine light on. Something is clearly wrong, but we're ignoring it. And the car might start every morning, we might make it to work day after day, but something is going terribly wrong beneath the surface, and we are going to be ruined if we keep going without addressing it. And that is all of us. That's not just Hitler. That's not just pedophiles. That's all of us. Anytime we go against what God created us for. Because we were all made in his image. And we've all missed the mark. And there is exactly one solution. As Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. He wrote here, but God, being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We all have missed the mark, and God loves us anyway. We were made in his image and likeness, and even when we're ruining that, he still wants relationship with us. God doesn't want to send anyone to hell. The only reason we end up there is because we choose to turn our backs on Him. We choose to move away from Him, who is the source of all life. And He still doesn't give up. And that's the gospel. It's not a distant, angry deity smiting with lightning bolts and leprosy every time He gets annoyed with us. It's a Creator who loves us who knows what's best for us, and even after we messed it up, still gives us the opportunity to see how good life is the way He meant for it to be. He's rich in mercy, forgiving what killed us. He's full of great love and amazing grace. He still lets us know the good that He created us for. We are saved by grace through faith. We don't deserve it. But he offers it. In Christ Jesus, we can live the lives we were meant to live. But part of our problem, and to be clear here, I'm not saying humanity's problem. I'm saying our problem, the church's problem is that we still don't entirely believe it. Part of why we don't know what to say to people that are struggling with sin is because 
we often do what God says because we feel like we have to. Because we're not actually convinced that the way God teaches us to live life is better. It looks like those other folks are having an awful lot of fun. Yep, I wish I could do that, but I can't because I don't want to go to hell. And that's our problem. I could preach this sermon every Sunday. And until that heart position changes, we're going to be no more salt and light to the world than anybody. We have to believe that Jesus is better. We have to wake up each morning and make our choices not because we don't want to go to hell, but because we recognize it is God's kindness to us to allow us to gather with people we didn't grow up with, whose backgrounds are different than us, and praise the one who created us together with one voice, that that is kind of God to let me wake up on Sunday morning and have his name on my lips. How kind is God that he lets me do that? How kind is God that he knows how much I struggle with self-control so when I give my life to him, when I'm united with his son in baptism, he gives me his spirit to help produce self-control in me. He helps me not do everything I say and think, but to be who he created me to be. How kind is it of God that he came and showed me in the person of Jesus what it really looks like to put somebody else first. To be humble and submissive. How kind of God that he knew sin messed us up so bad and that we were so self-centered that we would never figure out how to put somebody else first. So he came and showed us. He spent 30-some years giving us the best illustration of what it looks like to truly love somebody like you love yourself so that we'd have an example to follow. How kind of God. It'll also help us if we remember the alternative. Because as Paul continues in Ephesians 2 and verse 11, he says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. And members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And whom the whole structure being joined together. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Sin separates 
and alienates us from God. We choose not to trust him, and by choosing not to trust him, we have no promises that we can look forward to. We have no hope beyond right now. And sin makes right now really stinky. We live without God, which means a huge part of our lives, the lives we're meant to live, is missing. Because we were created to live in God's image after his likeness, but if we live without God, we can't be the humans that we're truly meant to be. So it's not just that we're free to sleep in on Sunday mornings. It's an issue of identity. Something's missing that we need. And it's not just separation from God. Sin also breaks our relationships with each other. Because of sin, you can't trust other people. Because of sin, you hurt and are hurt by other people. Because of sin, we're violent. Because of sin, we harbor prejudice. Sin is the source of our hostility. It is why things in this world are broken. And living in sin, missing the mark, it leaves us with no hope and without God in the world. And there is not a law you can write To fix that. There is no amount of money, no number of good deeds alone that can heal that. But Jesus can. When we're in Christ Jesus, when we respond to His grace with the faith, the loyalty, to die to ourselves, to die to our sins, to bury that old man in the waters of baptism, to rise and live a new life by the Spirit, Jesus brings peace with God. He brings peace with each other as well. He brings us near. He kills the hostility. Starting now. Not just something for later, for after you die, so people can say nice things at your funeral. Starting now. The problems plaguing our lives, the problems plaguing this world, the reign of Jesus, having Him be Lord, letting Him call the shots, waking up each morning and following His example, not the course of this world, changes things. He undoes the alienation and the separation. He gives all of us together access to the Father through the Spirit. He helps us become who God created us to be and He allows us, despite our differences, despite our struggles and our sin, to still have unity with each other. And that's where church comes in. It's not a have to. It's not the sort of thing where if you skip tonight for the Super Bowl and Jesus happens to come back, you're automatically going to hell. Good laugh, Sander. You don't even know what I said, and that was perfectly on time. I appreciate that, buddy. You got my back. That's the wrong point of reference. 
We're gathering together to celebrate the Father. To be trained to become more like the Son. To be filled with the Holy Spirit that transforms us that way. And that fulfills God's purpose for us. That's how we were meant to experience life and relationship in this world. If we'll trust Him. If we'll let Him tell us what's good and evil. Which we won't. If we're too comfortable with the world the way that it is. If our priorities are exactly the same as everyone else's. If our attitudes are shaped by the politicians we like. If our values are shaped by the entertainment we watch. Because our world is broken. Our sin did that. And the only way to fix it is Jesus. We start that now when we give our lives to him. When we decide to trust him, to live with him. And that's what the church is supposed to be. The household. That means the family of God. When we worship and serve and live and love together. We share how blessed we are to receive God's mercy. How amazing his grace is to teach us a better way to live. And then as we do, we make the world around us, our marriages, our homes, our workplaces, our community, a little bit more on earth as it is in heaven. Some of that brokenness starts to get restored. We become part of a process that King Jesus himself will bring to completion when he comes again. The only question is, when he comes, where will he find us standing? Will he find us choosing to continue living in sin, deciding for ourselves good and evil, ignoring the check engine light and ruining what he's given us, going our own way even though it is a path straight to destruction, Or will he find us in him? Working with him? Already starting to glimpse the beautiful, abundant, eternal life that he is coming to bring. We've all sinned. And we can't fix that. But Jesus can. If you need to put your faith in him, Repenting and being baptized? If you've been baptized, but you have not been shaped by Jesus, and you need his forgiveness and you need help and support, come talk to me now while we stand and sing.